Hi, and welcome to Edge Church Podcasts. To get connected, visit our website, edgechurch.co.za, or send us a WhatsApp on 073-013-8426. Say hi, and we'll connect with you. Our sermons can be found on our YouTube channel. Enjoy listening to the sermon. Well, we are excited. We have our guest, Taryn, joining us this morning. Taryn is an avid surfer. He's married to his beautiful wife, Julie, and has, listen, five fantastic kids. Yes, you heard right, five. <laughs> He's an author and content creator. He loves Jesus, and he is the one that leads the team that leads Signal Church in Cliff Street, Cape Town. Church, won't you put your hands together and welcome Taryn onto stage this morning. What do you do if somebody's trying to drop in on you? Hey! Hey! <laughs> Strange tribal noises people make. <laughs> so, I'm very excited to be with you guys. I can barely contain another meeting. My previous, the previous meeting... It was like an atom bomb of revelation went off in here and um, managed to pull myself back up here like, are we going to do that again? And the answer is yes. So true story, I have five children and each child tries to find their own niche in the family. You know, like, and my one twin who's nine years old has realized he can, he can perfect humor. So we're always looking for that, that funny line. And uh, you know, after the SA rugby win, um, he's sitting in class, and the teacher is busy giving them the names of um, animals in Afrikaans and puts up a hippo. First time he hears this gorgeous word, siye koi. Siye koi. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I said it wrongly. <laughs> Only 12 years of Afrikaans education. So, so siye koi. And, uh, and then um, it happens in his mind, a flash. So he puts up his hand. And, uh, and then he says to the teacher, what, what do you call it when you put a hippo in a, in a rugby team? And she's a little bit more intrigued than irked. So he went, Sia koi lisi. So let me tell you what I'm going to preach about, and then I'm going to preach about it. Okay, my... Firstly, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I want to give you three reasons to make up your mind already and jump in on following Christ today. So I'm going to give you three reasons, but these same three reasons, if you are a follower of Christ, I'm giving you three more reasons to celebrate. Three more reasons to go, oh my gosh, how did it happen to me? Okay, I'll tell you what those three reasons are here. Number one, I am positioned in Christ. Number two... I have a place at the king's table, and number three, I'm promised an inheritance. Okay, that's what I'm going to preach about today. So try to remember that, because if someone who's not just, so what do they speak on? You can, you can tell them these three points. And let me tell you my big idea here, is, is that in life we have what people call defining experiences. And you get really good defining experiences, but I'm talking about the painful defining experiences. You go to a therapist. The therapist says, okay, tell me about your childhood. 
happy. And then they say, so when did the unhappiness begin? And they're referring to something that happened in your life on one day where something in life broke you. And, that, and, and I want us to think about these breaking experiences because then I spoke to Daniel on the phone. I was praying, what do I speak on? The picture in my mind I got is of a leg being broken and um, this leg needs to heal, but it needs to heal right. And the, the idea that I had is that there are many people in this room that have had breaking experiences in life maybe even recently, maybe this last year, maybe last week, and, uh, and it's going to take time to heal, but you know, the doctor will put a stent in to make sure this bone is right. The soft tissue takes time to heal, but it's got to heal stronger than before, and these three truths are the stent. They redefine you. doesn't matter if life has given you defining experiences, these three, three truths, they, 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 your identity in Christ, are redefining you. I'm going to persuade you that they're more powerful. That what God's Word says about you is more powerful than the worst thing that's happened in your life. And um, so that's, that's my, my big idea. And then, and then I thought, well, who in the Bible had a breaking experience? And then one guy popped into my mind, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. Do you want to try that word in your mouth? Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, okay, now 10 times fast, go, what, <laughs> Mephibosheth, and um, we're going to think about the story of Mephibosheth, so let, let me jump right at it and just read one verse, 2 Samuel 4, 4 verse 4, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet, he was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name was, everybody, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth. Now, I thought, geez, there's a big story happening in one verse there. So what I did, I did some creative writing. I tried to fill it out with some detail. Then I remembered something called ChatGPT, and I put in what I wrote. I said, ChatGPT, can you improve it? And in one second, it decided it could, and spat back. This version, so between me and Chat GPT, we wrote this version of the story. Now, we've done some laughing. I just need to warn you, this is actually a really tragic story. So go with the emotion of it. Here we go. In ancient times, amidst the grandeur of a royal palace, lived a young prince born to Jonathan, the valiant firstborn son of a king, a man whose bloodline carried the promise of a throne. The palace walls echoed with the laughter of the prince as he reveled in the embrace of the finest care the kingdom had to offer. In his tender years, the palace corridors became his playground. A devoted nurse attended to his every need, her watchful eyes guarding him against the shadow of any harm. Her presence was like a soothing balm, a constant reminder of safety. But alas, the symphony of his bliss was shattered when the drumbeats of battle reached a crescendo and news, heavy as a storm-laden sky, arrived from the distant lands of Jezreel. In the thunderous clash of swords and the echoing cries of war, both his grandfather Saul and his father Jonathan met their untimely fate. The kingdom quaked with sorrow and the young prince's world crumbled. In the midst of chaos, his nurse, her heart, a, a wild flutter of desperation, gathered him into her arms. A precious cargo of life she would protect at all costs. But in her hurried flight, a misstep 
a heart-wrenching stumble, and the prince tumbled from her grasp. His delicate body struck the ground with a poignant thud. The fall broke his back, leaving him with legs lame, limbs that no longer bore the weight of his dreams. His name, Meribal, whispered with the promises of a future reign, underwent a transformation that mirrored his altered fate. His new name, Mephibosheth, means one who faces shame. A name as heavy as a stone upon his heart, as bitter as the tears he shed for his shattered hopes. In the shadow of the palace walls, his presence slipped into obscurity like a forgotten melody. <coughs> a small, quiet town became his sanctuary, a realm where his name and legacy were all but swallowed by time's relentless march. Thus, the tale of the young prince, once cradled in the arms of grandeur, was rewritten by the quill of adversity. The reason that the story touches something inside of us is it speaks to the human experience of brokenness. When something happens to us that redefines us. You see, not only does the circumstance happen, bringing difficulties into our lives, what it does is that they rename him Mephibosheth. He experiences a diminishment of his identity, his person. Shame. Speak to people that have undergone a brutal or a humiliating experience, and they will often speak about feelings of inferiority, feelings of inadequacy, maybe anger, sense of injustice. Uh, New feelings like uh, anxiety, depression start to mark them. And uh, this, these Feelings, and then maybe, maybe before they were socially confident, now they withdraw. Or they were out there, now they're, they're hanging yeah. back. And, um, and this is something we all feel from time to time. I wish I had a gospel that says, come to Jesus, no more breaking experiences. But it would be a lie. Because everyone I know who's been following Jesus a long time still has breaking experiences. I've had breaking experiences. When I was five, my parents got divorced. When I was 16, my father, who was only 36 at the time, died of HIV AIDS. He was doing quite well financially. He left us with nothing. When I was 22, the girl I was sure I was going to marry, oh, she broke up with me. <laughs> Put it with a smile on my face now. I promise I was not smiling then. I sometimes think about the wife I have now and I Thank that woman for dumping me on my bum. Thank you. (laughs) How did I turn my list of tragedies into into a joke? (laughs) When I was 24, uh, my brother, I was 24, he was 23, died in a car accident. Yeah, I had quite a few good years, and then a few years ago, part of a tight group, and those relationships really good people, all of us, it ended in a brutal separation that psychologically damaged me. I tell you what, for two years, I was in constant pain. And think about emotional pain. You can't see it. Body looks fine. But if inside, not so lacquer. 
my mind in a dark place, especially in the middle of the night when you wake up. Just the pain just doesn't stop. I'm so grateful. Eventually, it subsided very, very slowly. And um, these experiences break us. I tell you, common kinds of brokenness in this room. Uh, maybe you face the death of a family member or a friend or a partner. Maybe you've experienced physical, emotional, or sexual abuse, or you've gone through a traumatic event like an accident or assault. Maybe you've experienced the end of a significant romantic relationship. Maybe you've been diagnosed with a chronic illness or you've become disabled. Maybe you've lost a job or faced severe financial difficulties. Maybe you've been bullied or socially excluded. Maybe you've discovered betrayal or infidelity by a close friend or a partner. Maybe you've, you've battled addiction, whether it's related to substances, gambling, or other behaviors. Maybe you've um, experienced discrimination, prejudice, because of your race, your ethnicity, your gender. These are breaking experiences. Yeah, yeah. When you feel them, you feel like you're the only yeah. one, because surely all the happy people you saw at the supermarket today yeah. could not continue functioning if they felt like you feel. This is, this is what it is like to be human. I wish it wasn't. Glad that there's spaces in between the brokenness, but the brokenness is real. And, um, and, I, and I, I draw out the story of Mephibosheth because it's not the end of his story. Because 15 years later, this guy won, wins the lottery. Okay, not literally. See, here's the story. David takes over the throne. David had a best friend in the world, Jonathan. David loved Jonathan. David made a covenant to Jonathan. I will bless you and I will bless your children forever. David was broken that Jonathan died. David didn't know that Jonathan had a child for some reason. But years later, he's on the throne and he goes, are we sure that Jonathan has no child because if there's someone who's a descendant of Jonathan, I want to show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. He does a survey, comes back, there's this cripple in a town. Call him! Mephibosheth thinks his head's going to get chopped off because the king wants to see him and he's a you know, descendant of the previous guy. Is he a threat to David? He walks up to David or he hobbles up to David and David says, do not be afraid. And I want to read you the words, just one verse. This is my sermon for you. It all comes from this one verse. David said, don't be afraid, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather. You will always eat at my table. And then I thought about that verse, and I got those three points for you. That we are positioned in Christ that we get to sit at the table and we promised an inheritance. The, the land of Saul gets given to Mephibosheth. So the rest of my message, let's, let's break those three points down. So firstly, you are positioned in Christ. You're positioned in Christ. So, so think about Mephibosheth. He feels utterly alone and cut off in the world. He is oblivious to the fact that, that actually... His life, his life is bound up in Jonathan. Yeah. David has made a promise to Jonathan and to all that is in Jonathan. And David has made Jonathan the focus of his love. And in David's mind, Mephibosheth is in Jonathan. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a beautiful analogy that when you become a Christian, 
your life gets bound up in Christ. Your life gets wrapped up into Jesus. It's the most redefining thing. You could feel like you're the same person, but you've been redefined. You're sitting in a dark place. You just have no idea that there is a king in heaven who has made you the focus of his love because you're bound up in his son. So theologians speak about the, the doctrine of our union with Christ. And most often we don't hear it preached and we spend zero time of our lives thinking about the most important truth of our existence if you're in Christ. 200 times in the the New Testament, it describes a Christian as somebody who is in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And what it means is that, that your life has been bound up in Jesus. And it's a kind of a multi-layered meaning. I mean, one of the meanings is that you've been fused onto Jesus in a a spiritual way. Through the Holy Spirit, you've been fused onto Jesus. You're so close to him, you might not feel it. Probably don't feel it, but it's true. At a spiritual level, you're connected to him. It's like you've been planted in new soil. It's like you've been put in a new climate. It's like you've been taken to another plane. You've still got the same body but there's a new you. The new you is in Christ. Think of yourself as an onion. I know in the freedom, the freedom course, what's it called, the freedom? Freedom course. You, you use this metaphor of the onion and you're going through layers. But if you think about your identity, who you are as a person, as many layers. Let's run through some of these layers. Let's go right to the outside, how you dress, you know, the car you drive, where you live. That's, that's really superficial you. Go a little bit deeper. Maybe your blood type, your body type, your personality type. Pull that away. Who else are you? Well, you, you are, next layer, your relationships. The people closest to you, friends, family members. That's defining you even more. You could peel that away and maybe now we get to your experiences of life. Peel that away. Now, now maybe we come to your beliefs what you believe about the world, what you believe about yourself, what you believe about God. You could go go another layer deeper, your secrets, your sins, your hopes, your aspirations. I like this thing, eh? (laughs) (laughs) If I preach often, I would form all kinds of idiosyncrasies with the stage. I'll start balancing... Got to get me more often. I'll do some tricks next time. <laughs> Cartwheels. Where was I? <laughs> Wait, there's another layer. Another layer underneath. You know, the planet Earth, I was quite amazed by this. I only discovered recently. In the middle of the Earth is an iron ball. Very hot. Solid. If you strip away all the layers of what makes you, you, and you in Christ... Strip all those layers away. There's one right in the middle, and it's this. I am united to Christ. It's the truest truth about your existence, and you needed a preacher to remind you of it, which is why today happened. (laughs) Yesterday, I was in Camps Bay Beach, dropping off my kids at a party, going to pick them up two hours later. It was in town, so I'm on Camps Bay Beach looking for Roseanne on her bicycle, but she's nowhere to be seen. Eh? On social media, I often see Roseanne in uh, Camps Bay. Me in Camps Bay. 
But I'm walking there and I'm thinking about me. Anyone else ever think about you? <laughs> it's like, what else am I meant to think about? And I'm thinking deep, because I'm not talking to anyone. I'm thinking, what am I? There's seagulls. Seagulls, am I like the seagulls? Sand, water, uh, mountain, humans, so many from all over the world. I don't know who they are. I think there's a lot of us on this planet. We've been breathing like rabbits. I don't know any of these people, but, I, but who am I? <coughs> what am I? I'm, I'm just scrap, scratching away at the layers. And then I hit the solid iron ball. I'm walking there, and I feel fullness inside. I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. Fused onto Him. One with Him. I mean, I mean, the Apostle Paul, who writes some of the letters in the New Testament, he writes to a church in Corinth, and uh, shock upon shock, some of the men in this church are sleeping with prostitutes, because their wives are claiming that Jesus says, no, no, they don't need to have sex anymore, so Paul's like trying to help these guys figure things out, okay? But he's, he's, he, the way he deals with the guys, he doesn't just say, hey guys, stop being naughty, he tries to Get them thinking about who they are in Christ. And he says, don't you realize that you are one with Christ? And when you become sexually one with the prostitute, it's like you're dragging Jesus into the bed. I mean, it's a shocking picture. I think it had the effect on the Corinthian men. You are one with Christ. Where you go, he goes. Where did Paul get this idea from, by the way, that we're one with Christ? You know that the Apostle Paul, when he got converted, he encounters Jesus in a blazing light. He's on his way persecuting Christians, and Jesus confronts him, and he says, why are you persecuting me? And Paul realizes these Christians are one with Jesus. Jesus identifies with them. One with Christ. And then another layer of thinking about this, being united with Christ, and, and, and the Apostle Paul especially unpacks this, is that we need to think of it like this. What has happened to Jesus has happened to us. What's true of him is true of us. So, so, so we know that Christ is the focus of the Father's love, and in Christ, John 17, 23, we are the focus of the Father's love. He is the Son of God in Christ we are made sons and daughters of God, Galatians 4 verse 6. He is righteous in the sight of the Father. In Christ, we share his righteous status. He was crucified. In Christ, we have been crucified with him, Galatians 2 verse 20. Do you see Jesus on the cross? I rub your eyes. See yourself there being crucified with him. He was resurrected from the dead and we were resurrected with him too. Ephesians 1 verse 19, 20. You see Jesus coming out of the, the empty grave? Yeah. Rub your eyes. There you're coming out with him. Yeah. Jesus ascended to the heavens and sat down at the right hand of the Father. And Ephesians 2 verse 6, you have to read it again because you can't believe you're seeing it in the Bible. There we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Yeah. Jesus is in 
the heir of all things, in charge of all things. He has responsibility for all of creation. Romans 8 verse 17, we are co-heirs with Christ, sharing his inheritance with him. Jesus has the spirit, so do we. Galatians 4 verse 6. And then this one always blows my mind, Colossians 3 verses 3 to 4. When Jesus returns to wrap up human history as we know it, as he appears in the skies, Colossians 3 says, you will appear there with him. Talk about being united to Christ. You're walking along on the beach. You're walking on the park. You're driving in the traffic. You want to think some deep thoughts. You want to go past the superficialities and the trivialities that is so much of our life, especially in the burbs? Think deep. I am one with Christ. You will go down to the deepest part of your existence and you will find something so solid and unshakable and the fullness will rise up into you. I've been positioned in Christ. Anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. So that's the first thing that I wanted to say. Second thing that I wanted to say is that we have a place at the table. We have a place at the table. Psalm 23, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Luke chapter 22, Jesus says, the Father has conferred on me a kingdom. I confer a kingdom on you. Of course, yes, because we bound it up in him. And I give you a place at my table where you will eat and drink with me forever. It's a dominant metaphor in the Bible, the sitting at a table. And it's beautiful. I don't know if you do you have your Christmas traditions, if you've got lots of family and children. No, you can't have all these little kids at the big table. Little table for the kids. Oh, you look at the, look at the face of the child when they get promoted to the big table. They're looking down on the little kids now, hey? <laughs> Finally, a place at the That's table. Good. It's a beautiful picture. Stunning, stunning, In Cape Town, there are elite groups of people I only hear about, read about, and I see their houses sometimes. Yo, who lives there? Tables that you will never get invited to, me neither. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Seated at the king's table. I'm seated at the king's table. And, and, and there's something about the table that is, um, that we're enjoying. You know, Mephibosheth used to probably eat crumbs in a corner, hidden away. Now he's sitting there with King David and King David's children and Mephibosheth. It's like he's, he's been adopted into this family. And he's, he's, in, he's enjoying the status of belonging and he gets to chat with the king and chat with his new brothers and sisters. Love God, love people. I hope you remember the word love. It, yes, it means, you know, give everything to God, give everything to people. But it also means enjoy. If you're just duty and not delight, uh, that's one of the things you learned in the freedom course. There's more delight than duty. Delight's in the middle of your life. Duty on the edges. You get to sit at a table. You get to enjoy God. I hope you're enjoying God because you can. You've got a place at the table. And I hope you're enjoying each other. And I also hope if you have been detabled at some point in your life. What I mean, you weren't part of a group of people. And being part of this group, you find an identity and a belonging in that group. Then something happened. 
Maybe it was nasty. Maybe these guys kicked you out so embarrassingly and humiliatingly. Or maybe, maybe it just ended and then you found yourself on the outside of this group. And whether it's true or not, you imagine them looking at you going, tut, tut. You've experienced that. You experience when you're five years old. You can sometimes experience when you're 50 years old. It's the same pain. (laughs) Human beings, we love to sit at a table and we hate to lose our place at the table. Isn't it awesome that there's a table (laughs) called called Edge Church? At least one more table in the kingdom for you where you can find your people. Oh, being part of a church. These are my people. And I know you haven't got to make that many friends yet. I hope you're so hungry too. I hope you're so hungry too. Just make more friends. Get to know these people. Enjoy these people. I was trying to figure out the noise. One more person at the table. Everybody welcome at the table. You can heal from your rejections out there. By experiencing your welcome here, Romans 15, welcome each other as Christ welcomes you. Because once you're at the table, enjoy each other, but don't be like a five-year-old in preschool, us four and no more. No, there's some more seats at the table. What you have is too good to keep to yourselves. Who are you going to invite to Christmas Spectacular? Who are you going to invite to church? Bring them in. And when they come, be happy to see them. They're not a nuisance. It's just a big party getting bigger. It's a growing family. Hey, more happiness. I know there's the sociologists say that you can only cope with eight and a half close friends. Ah. You are going to go into super capacity. You're going to take in more people into your inner space. But I'm shy. I'm introverted. I'm exhausted by people. Okay, get your gaps. Go walk on campus to the beach. I won't talk to you. (laughs) Spend your time. You need that time alone. But don't be sitting in a corner the whole time. Put yourself out there. Build relationships. Get to know these fantastic people. And then let's do life together. And then when you're hurting, please be real. Don't pretend. Yeah, that's right. I meant to minister to you if we don't know you're in pain. Yeah, and right. when you're going through a lack of time, tell us we won't be jealous. We will celebrate with you. <laughs> Romans 12, weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. A place at the table. A place at the table. And then one more point, one more point. Um, I am promised an inheritance. I'm promised an inheritance. Okay, this is a confusing topic. The Bible speaks about it so much that Christ is the heir. We co-heirs with Christ. What does that mean? Well, the word heir means inheritance. And in our modern understanding, it's, got a, it's a weird understanding because your dad just died. And are you there? And now the envelope comes out and you've got to share the Betty's Bay house between you and your siblings. And you stoked, but you're sad at the same time, you know? So inheritance, that's not the biblical idea, okay? That's not the biblical idea. The biblical idea is actually very clear. You got a dad in those days, the first century, the dad with his big family. And the family is like a family business. And, and, and now he's chosen 
He's chosen his oldest son, or he's brought in another son. He's adopted him as an heir, or he's his biological heir. And he says, okay, I'm handing over the family business to this guy, but they're working together as a team. And then the, 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 the new heir, the heir gets the dad's credit card, the dad's keys, he's got the dad's authority, he's got the dad's resources, and his job is to carry on the dad's business. I've got a friend who's high up in Discovery, he was telling me, he's hanging out with this guy who is, who's got a friend who is as rich as a kid can get, he's only 21 years old. And, um, and, and of course, this guy's not rich, his dad's rich! But no, no, this guy is in a nice Afrikaans family where they work family enterprise. And this guy, he has got his dad. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. <laughs> this guy, this guy, he's 21 years old. <laughs> he's 21 years old. And he, and he, um, and he's already started a human genetics testing company. What does this guy know about starting companies or genetics? Nothing. So Matty, he's got his dad's bucks. He's got his dad's backing. And he's got his dad's chutzpah. He's making it happen. And in his mind, he's building his dad's family business. Now he's in Romania. He's busy studying. It doesn't matter what he's studying. He's there to get EU passports for his family. You know, just do three years and this guy, you know, his friends might be a bit jealous of him, but he's, he's living his life. He's, he's, he's advancing. He's in the father's, you know, business. He's, 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 that's what it means to be an heir. And uh, so if you take that analogy, what is the father's business? The father is about reaching lost children, bringing them in, restoring them, building them up. You get to be part of that. You get to be a shareholder in the father's business. That's what inheritance means. It means you're enjoying the father. You're sitting at the table. You've got access to him, but you're not just talking how much you love him. You're also talking about how the business is going. And you have got the credit card. You go to the bank. You draw a million bucks. You're making, you're, you're using the resources of the kingdom, and you are enterprising. Your goal is to take the million bucks and make it two million bucks. You want, to, you want to take the gifts that God has given you, multiply them. You're thinking how to reach more people, how to rescue more people, how to deepen people, how to build something strong, how to push back darkness. You've got the authority. You've got responsibility. I'll tell you why this whole idea of being the father's shareholder helps me. I'm a surfer from when I was in high school. I had one goal, avoid responsibility and anything that will take me from the surf. I still feel like the same person. Now I'm leading a church. I'm like, how do I get myself in this mess? So much responsibility. Then I remember I'm an heir. Okay, now this helps me. It's not res- it's it's opportunity, it's privilege, it's being about the father's okay, more responsibility, God. This makes sense to me now. I don't know what responsibilities you've taken in this church. Enjoy them. You're a shareholder. Acts chapter 20 20 says, God is able to build you up and give you an inheritance amongst God's people. You have an inheritance of mission in the world. You're in the marketplace. Maybe you're in a place of influence. See yourself as an heir of God. You're an heir of God. You're about the Father's business wherever you go. You don't need anyone's authority. You've been authorized by the Father. 
You didn't arrive at work and the fans just gone. It doesn't matter. You've got access to the Father's resources. Unlimited eons of power backing you in whatever He tells you to do or whatever His Spirit inspires some kind of creative enterprise in your heart and life. Go for it. Okay, so now you, that son blows it. He wastes a million bucks on this investment. The father doesn't shout at him. He says, good try. There's more. Don't worry, you've got billions more. Let's try again. Let's try again. I'll ask you to stand up. So, so, life is painful. But no matter how painful does not define you to the deepest core of your being. I'll tell you what does define you to the deepest core of your being is that you are positioned in Christ and you have a place at the table and you promised an inheritance. And that is the stent. No matter how much pain you go through, you can heal around. You can heal around. You can become stronger in the very places where you broke. You see why this is such good news? Hey? I'm not mad to think this is good news. This is, there's a reason we feel such happiness when we think these thoughts. Eh? Let, me, let me land with a story. Why it's so important that we know who we are in Christ. Because we're so worried what people think of us. But if we could get this whole thing of who we are in Christ right, we will be impervious to feelings of inferiority. Stupid feelings of inferiority. Horrible feelings of comparing yourself with other people. So um, Julie and I, we'd had our third child, Ivy. We've been stuck in the house for three months now. What are we doing with our lives? We're just changing nappies. Come, we've got to do something. It's Friday night, Julie. Let's do something. So I persuade my poor bedraggled wife to go out to Heart Bay Market. We're gonna, I've heard about this market. So we drive to Heart Bay Market. When I get there, there's no cars are arriving. There's no children, families. What are, what are we doing? Now we've already driven there. Let's just get this done. Let's go eat the food. So as we get in there, I look around, and my goodness, I think some of the trendiest people I've seen. They have wealthy cars. Then they just look awesome. They look cool. They, they're also connected. They got every social advantage that Cape Town City is handing out in this upper echelons, whoever these people are. So I get there, and I, no, let's just eat the food, and we're going to go. There's tables, and there's food stands, but there's no place at the tables. No, not a single place. I look, I look, I look. Oh, wait, here on the corner of the table, there's a place. Okay, I'll sit here with the car chair, with the little baby car chair with Ivy in it. Julie, you take the two kids. Don't lose them. Come back with the food. So I sit down, and then across the table, um, I realize is it must be, it's certainly the poorest person in the whole room. She doesn't have a single connection. She's sitting on her own. She's toothless. Um, she's obviously just, you know, didn't, she just came in. Why not? It's open to the public. She comes in. She's sitting down there. She can't afford this food. And she's just minding her own business. But I, I think to myself, I'm sure she's going to leave soon because she's not eating food. And then at least that place will open up. So I'm waiting for her to move. It's my wife and we can all sit here, you know. I'm sorry. This, these were my real thoughts. And uh, so I put down Ivy on the table, and I look at this little one-year-old, little three-month schmutkin of perfection. And I look in this face, and I just my heart fills up, and I say, "You're my princess." And 
in that moment, I really wasn't in a spiritual mode as you soon. I have a, a, a flash of the Holy Spirit. I see a luminous arrow pointing across the table to the lady across the table. And I hear the words, and this is mine. I say, you're my princess. And God says, and this is mine. I am embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. And so soft. I just feel God's heart for a second. I'm like, and really comes, I tell you what happened to me. And she says, why don't you go tell the lady? I'm like, it's so awkward, but okay. Go around. Sorry, what's your name? Beatrice. And then I look in her face for the first time, you know? And her eyes are radiant. And stupid things you say. I'm like, Beatrice, you're so beautiful. I don't know what I was saying. You're so beautiful. She goes, I walk with Jesus and I talk with Jesus. So then I, then I say, oh, um, Beatrice, I just believe God wants you to know that you're his princess. She goes, I know. And then I realized God didn't send me to Beatrice. God said Beatrice to me. I wonder what the father thinks when he looks at you. And if you could know how he sees you, you wouldn't care what all these other people thought about you. And you would walk with Jesus and you would talk with Jesus (laughs) because you're one with Jesus. We're gonna, that took longer this time than last time, hey, you guys didn't stop me, try stop me. <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna pray for some people, we're gonna pray for some people because, because we're talking about real pain, man, real pain, and um, some of you are in pain, some of you have gone through a fair amount of healing, but you've still got pain, and you're just so glad you heard this because you needed to hear it. And we would love to pray for you. I really want to encourage you. We're gonna, we've got a team of people to pray for you. They're just going to pray God's word over your life. They're going to speak those same words. Do not be afraid. You're positioned in Christ. You have a place at the table. You are promised an inheritance. And I want to encourage you just to be brave be good to yourself, just come forward right now and just be prayed for, whoever you are. If something in this message that particularly connected with you, please come forward and just receive that prayer. This is a family, it's a safe place, and then don't, don't wait like three minutes and go, let's see who else goes, just come. And then if there's too many people, not a problem, just stand behind someone and then in a few minutes time, they'll, they'll pray for you too. stand behind someone who's being prayed for and in a few minutes time they'll get to you.
you're standing out there, it doesn't mean God's not ministering to you. So just keep engaging God the Father. Feel His delight. Feel the sunshine of His eyes looking into your life. Let Him affirm through the Holy Spirit your identity in Christ. Maybe you are in pain, but you just don't have it in you to be prayed for. Not a problem. Just let the Holy Spirit minister to you where you are. Everybody who wants prayer will be prayed for. So we'll spend some time in this. We're going to do a little few, a few more minutes longer today than usual. You understand why.
I'm thinking of those of you who are new in church or back in church after a long time, and um, you're here today and you're like, oh my goodness, I think it's real. <laughs> I think God is real. I think Jesus is real. I think these people are not out of their minds. I think they're onto something. And today, even as you stand there, even this very minute, you can feel the call of God in your life. He's going like this to you. He's calling you. I was 16 years old when I got this getting called. I was getting summoned in to trust in Jesus. And I want to encourage you to collapse into the arms of God today. And if that's you, I just would like to pray with you, wherever you are. I'd just like to pray with you. you give your life to Jesus, maybe for the first time. Maybe you did this long ago, but you wandered far away. Today you're coming back home going to give you a simple prayer, and I want to encourage you to pray it, because you're looking to Jesus, you're looking to Jesus, so I'm going to give you a sentence, and I encourage you to pray it, if you're shy, you can pray it under your breath, there we go, God, thank you that you love me, can you say those words, God, thank you that you love me, because he does, by the way, God, thank you that you love me, Say, say those words, Jesus, thank you for living and dying for me, can you say those words? Jesus, forgive my sins. Can you ask him to forgive your sins? Because he died on the cross to forgive them. Jesus, thank you that you rose again from the dead. You say those words. You're alive. You're the Lord. Can you say those words? Get them out the mouth. Jesus, you're alive. You're the Lord. Come and live inside of me. Take me into your family. Take me into your kingdom. Teach me to trust you. Teach me to follow you. And all God's people just want to welcome in some new brothers and sisters.
We trust that you enjoyed listening to the sermon today. We would love to stay in touch with you about your next steps. Please send us a WhatsApp or contact us via our website. We would love to help you on your discipleship journey.